This morning we are in Genesis chapter 23, and we're going to be doing the whole chapter today. So where we are now, um, I'm actually going to pull up a map so you can kind of see it, um, just to kind of walk us through what's been going on. Um, if you'll remember, uh, we're following the line of Jacob right now, his story. Jacob is the son of Isaac, who... Um, it was old a few chapters ago and blind, and he gave his blessings to... Well, he wanted to give his blessing to the eldest son, Esau. But Jacob cunningly and his mother snuck into that place and, and took the blessing from his uh, older brother. And 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 just... D Jacob is what you would say is a, a kind of a tricky person, a conniver... Uh, his name literally means supplanter, which means to kind of take over from other people, to replace other people. Um, and that's what he's been doing. And so because of this, he got into some trouble where his brother wanted to kill him. So he fled from um, this area here in um, Hebron, Beersheba. And he flees up to Bethel where he meets God. He has a dream about the, the ladder where angels are ascending and descending. And he anoints that pillar. And then he goes on up and finds his family up here. Um, where he spends 20 years working for Laban. Um, and then at the end of those 20 years, um, he was paid his wages as was promised. But Laban, his father-in-law... Uh, so he got married to Rachel and Leah and then had two other servants that were his wives. And he had 11 kids. And, and he worked there for Laban, his father-in-law, for six more years after um, after getting married to his two daughters. And and then because of the way the Lord was was blessing Jacob with more flocks and more more animals, Laban was a little upset about this. So uh, secretly, again, he's he's the the schemer. He secretly left, and for three days. Uh, Laban didn't know about it, but as soon as he knew, he chased after him. And they uh, ended up right around here. I don't know if you can see my mouse, but the Sakoth um, Mahanaim, um, around this area, um, is where <coughs> Laban caught up with Jacob. And so that just happened, and they put up a pillar and separated each other from each other and said, if you don't cross this pillar, I'm not going to you know attack you and if uh, and I'm not going to cross this pillar so it's we're not going to go fight so that's where we are this morning um they just separated and they're coming back into Jacob's family area which if you remember 20 years ago his brother swore to kill him so so he there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on that he's a little unsure of so Genesis chapter 32 verse 1 so Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When he, Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim, which is where, where this kind of story starts. He saw some angels that he recognized. Um, so that it may have been, they may have looked similar to the angels that he saw in Bethel. Um, and and he, he kind of praises the Lord here by saying, This is God's camp, and he calls it that name. 
Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him, and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. So I'm going to pause there. So, uh, yeah, I wish I had more information on... uh, Verse one and two about this angel camp, but we just this is all that God has given us, so that's all we have. It's, it's just an interesting uh, point of fact, and He kind of keeps moving. Um, so then Jacob is coming back to his brother, and he sends a runner. He sends someone out quickly before him to go announce that he's coming to his brother, and it's kind of to see you know how his brother is going to re- react and respond, and and he doesn't get a lot of specifics other than. Oh yeah, your brother's coming and he's got 400 people with him. So it says here he is afraid as the last time they met that he wanted to kill him. So he, so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So this is going to mark his, um, his actions and his motivations for the rest of this chapter until he meets his brother. Um, because he's, he's a, um, a schemer, a conniver. He's going to, he's making plans as he always does. And so he divides his company into two. See, and his idea is like, well, so if, if Esau attacks one of them, the other one can escape. And so he he's, he's scheming, he's planning on how to get out of this tricky situation if it were to go bad, as you can see in verse 8. So he's still scheming. He's still not trusting in the Lord. because So the, the big overarching theme here that that he has forgotten about and maybe us readers have forgotten about is that God has promised to bring him back into his own country and and to prosper him and and that he will do well and I mean Jacob just doesn't have any trust in what the Lord has said he thinks that I have to do these things I have to figure it out on my own and as I will continually see through Genesis and the rest of the Bible that when we do things by our own power we are going to mess things up because we don't know. Especially when God has spoken and he says that I'm going to do these things. We need to let God do the th- whatever it is he said instead of taking it upon our own shoulders to, to carry it out or try to help God out in this situation. There's this, this idea of patience that we wait on the Lord because he is He's moving and he's working for us. So in verse 9, he's scared, he's afraid, he's scheming. He does here reach out to God. Verse 9, Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of these mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children for you said i will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered in the multitude so here he's going to god and saying hey you you made these promises you you said these things you're supposed to show up here 
And but we you still see him conniving, you see still him splitting up the group and he's gonna do some more here in a second, trying to fix the situation himself, instead of trusting what the Lord God has said, because the God was very specific that you'll return to your country in verse nine, and I will deal well with you. He's God's been very, very specific and clear. Um clear enough for me. Um and then I will surely treat you well and make your descents as the sands of the sea, which cannot be numbered or multitude. So, so the idea that his his family will be killed is should be kind of far from him because God has made this promise to him, and he needs just to walk in faith and believe what the Lord has said instead of all the scheming and trying to get around things. So we pick up in verse thirteen. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau's brother: two hundred female goats and twenty male goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milk camels with their colts, forty cows and ten bulls, twenty female donkeys and ten foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servant, every drove by itself, and said to his servant, Pass over before me, and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau my brother meets you, and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second and third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him and present that with the present that goes before me, and afterwards I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the camp went on before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. And so here he is scheming again. Not only is he splitting his uh, company into two, but he's also taking, it seems like, one of the companies and is splitting it up into a present. And so these 200 sheep and 20 rams and 200 female goats and all these things he's sending before him, he's sending before him to try to to make peace with his brother by this present. He is still f- fearful and afraid and he's scheming. He's still not trusting in the Lord. He's still not humbling himself to, to believe. He's still trying to help God out. Now how rich and how how prosperous has God made uh, Jacob while he's been gone that this is the gift that he's able to give? 200 goats and 200 sheep? That's that's a huge gift for my, my brain. I, you know, I don't own any sheep. But, but for him to give it um, freely as an offering to his brother to try to make peace, like he is well off. He, the Lord has blessed him, and and so he goes. Now we come to a very interesting story. Uh, verse twenty-two. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford at Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had so again he's separating out himself again from his family he's sending his wives and his children before him because he's trying to uh, soften the heart of Esau so he'll get the presents and he'll see the wives and children and so he'll be the last person that they see that he sees so he's still afraid and still scheming 
So then this this very interesting thing happens in verse 23 to the end. He took them, sent, uh, 24, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asking, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore to this day the children of Israel do not eat the muscle of that shank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscles that shrank. So here, while... Uh, Jacob is alone, uh, some form of a man comes upon him, and then they start wrestling. One of the ideas about Jacob sending his family ahead, the 11 children, all of which are under the age of uh, 13 or so, um, and his wives, and Jacob probably wanted some peace and quiet to sleep before the, the morning, before the next day when he met his brother and the 400 men, but, but this man came over came to him, I'm going to use the word man, because it's what it uses in the verse 24, but we're going to see that it wasn't just any man. So, they get into this wrestling match, and they wrestle all night long until the break of day. And and the physical strength which Jacob always has trusted in, that he would be able to get out of any situation by himself, uh, he is is just wrestling for his life and re- really for his for a blessing. You see, he won't let go of this man. He knows that this is not just some random person, a stranger that's wandered across him. Uh, this is a very specific person. And and during the fight, uh, this mysterious man touches the socket of his hip, and his hip goes out of joint. He he needs a, a chiropractor. He needs a he needs someone. Um, but he fights on and fights through whatever pain there is. He's now crippled, and he'll be crippled for the rest of his life. He'll he'll walk with the limp. And so he's fighting for this blessing from this man. And and because because he endures, because he continually grapples with him, he says, "Give me a blessing." And and. The, the guy he's wrestling with says, what is your name? Not, And when we, we see, so this, uh, I'll skip ahead. So this is, this is the Lord that's wrestling with Jacob. You can tell because of the name that, that's given and the name of the place that, that he, he names the place. So, so the Lord, when, when God asks a question, he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't know the answer. He wants the person to consider something because the Lord is all-knowing he knows everything and so when he says what is your name when he says the word Jacob Jacob literally means a heel catcher or supplanter that that person that takes from other people and so 
God gives him a different name, Israel, which means someone that has struggled with God and and prevailed. So he changes the name from someone that that through cunning and conniving and schemes takes from other people. He now says that you have struggled with God and, and have prevailed, that you are wrestling with him. And from this point on, uh, Jacob will, will not be the same schemer that he was. Um, what he's done by crippling him, giving him that limp, Jacob is no longer able to run away from people. That was his primary operation. Like uh, when he made Esau upset, he fled, he ran away. When he made a Laban upset, he fled, he ran away, but now he has to walk with a limp. Now he can't rely on his own strength and his own power. He has to rely on God because of this new limp that he's going to have. And then Jacob asks, you know, tell me your name, I pray. It's not that he doesn't know who he is, but but he wants... <laughs> He, he's asking for his name. And he says, why is it they ask my name? He already knows who he is. There's, there's this, this reversal of, of, you know who I am. I just told you. You wrestle with God. And so Jacob, who doesn't receive a name, names the place for I have seen God face to face. So Jacob already knows who this is. This is God. This is, this is a, I'm going to say, a pre-incarnate Jesus wrestling with Jacob. Now, Jacob has sinned so many times. He has, has tricked people. He has schemed. He has done a lot of things based upon pride. And he's been depending in his own strength that I can do it. I can, I can fix whatever problem there is. And, and the Lord says it's time to stop running. It's time to stop trusting in yourself. And it's time to start trusting in me. And so he comes gracefully. <laughs> To, to cripple him. Uh, some of the messages you'll hear in the world are going to be all about how God wants to prosper you, to give you health, and to give you wealth. And, and that's just not true for the majority. He will bless you and he will give you things, but it's, it's not, the point is not for us to be wealthy and comfortable. The point of us is for us to be obedient and worshipers of him. And so here God says, hey, you have plenty, you've got everything, but you're still not walking with me. You're still not trusting in me. So he cripples him. For for the rest of his life, he will walk with that limp and he will remember. Uh, and and it, it says here that the children, just a side note, don't eat the muscle from that hip socket. We don't see God ever commanding that. We just see that they do it in, in memory of of what had happened and so whenever they they have a sheep or a, a goat that they're eating or a cow and and they they don't eat that part of the meat the kids will ask well why don't we eat this meat oh it's because of what god did to jacob and they'll tell the story there's a lot of of stories in their daily life that they have built up these rocks these stones these memories and so it's uh, a way that they can remember to tell these stories to their kids or to other people now I want to go back to um, God who, who will sometimes cripple us, will sometimes take stuff away from us so that we will be able to listen, that we'll be able to depend on him because 
it's just a very important thing for us to realize. So in Matthew 18, 8 through 9, it says, If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. So here Jesus is teaching about the the pride of life, the the people find sin to be so pleasant and so pleasing and it's so temporary. But people want to look at things they shouldn't be looking at. They want to do things they shouldn't be doing. And God says, "Hey, cut it out of your life." Get rid of it. He's not talking, obviously, about our actual eye and our actual hand, but for a modern-day example, um, for me, I found that the radio in my truck uh, made me sin. It, it, it didn't make me sin. So the radio in the truck would play songs, and the songs would get me thinking about old habits and old ways of life, and so that would lead me down a trail where I would eventually sin. And so God showed me real clearly that that was that was. A problem in my life so I had to cut it out so I literally removed the radio from my vehicle and then I removed the speakers from my vehicle so I wouldn't be tempted to to put it back in because I would rather live to change this this parable I'd rather live my entire life without a radio in my truck than to go to hell there's no there's life which is in this passage talking about eternal life is way more important than my temporary uh, pleasures from sin or my temporary enjoyment of music it's not worth it I'd rather go to heaven not having to listen to whatever not having a phone that's connected to the internet not not having wasted my life on, on gambling or drinking or whatever temporary pleasures that we sin in every day I'd rather get it out of my life and so for Jacob he, he had this this sin of fleeing that he wasn't trusting in the Lord. He wasn't walking in a way that people would say, oh, look, he's trusting in the Lord. they say, oh, he's scheming. He's got his escape. He can get out. And so the Lord took that from him to help him to depend and trust on the Lord. And that's what we're called to do is to depend on him, to trust in God. Even when it's not comfortable, God's not worried about your comfort. God's worried about your salvation. He wants you to, to come to a believing faith, to know who he is. And to put away those childish things that cause us to sin, that cause us to, to direct our lives toward hell. And he says, it's, it's not good. Come to me, all you that are, are heavy burdened, that are frustrated with the way the world is. He says, come to me. And sometimes we can't because because these things are in our way. We, we, we're so distracted in the world, we can't hear God, we can't see him. And so sometimes he'll take those things away from us. Suddenly slowly and I have a friend that was in a car accident and, and man he woke up and and knew that he had been walking away from the Lord for so long that his life was instantly changed because of that car accident it was a painful ordeal but it woke him up from the way that he was walking and he came to the Lord and he dedicated the rest of his life to the Lord and it was it was a good life and we just need to depend and trust in God. Now, one other verse, well, two verses I want to show is Romans 12, 1 and 2. So, so this idea of living uh, 
a, a pleasant, comfortable life is is not really from God. We we will be blessed by Him, but it's not necessarily the primary focus. So in Romans twelve one and two, He says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to be by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service." And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Man, if you'll remember, the mercies of God has come up. This is the what was in uh, Jacob. Jacob's prayer was like, I came across this river, or I came into this land with only a walking stick. But your mercies, you've given me all these flocks. You've given me four wives, eleven children. You've blessed me so much. These are the mercies of God. We do not deserve it we have not earned it god blesses us and because of how much he's already blessed us when we realize it when we can see it for what it really is we can then turn and say god what can i do for you this this idea of living as a a a living sacrifice present our bodies to to serve god to turn from our our wicked ways to turn from our selfish ways and and just just serve the Lord because out of the goodness of, of our heart, out of the goodness of what God has done, we just serve the Lord because of how much he's done for us. And again, not to be conformed to this world. Don't do these things like the world does it. It's not going to look like the rest of the world because the rest of the world, everything we see is not necessarily from him. We live in a, a fallen world that's run by Satan. And he says we have to change our minds. We have to renew our minds so that we dwell on good and holy things. And we put our trust in the Lord, which is not a natural thing for us to do. We trust in ourselves. We trust in our bank accounts. We trust in our ability and power and intelligence. And by renewing our mind, by trying and continually working on putting our mind on good things and loving things and true things, we'll prove what is that good and acceptable the perfect will of God and so this is the perfect will of God that we we be renewed that we walk in the light we walk more according to who Jesus is and walk in the spirit not not as the world walks Lord God I praise you that we can spend this time getting to to know what your word says to dwell on it to, to learn from it and see where your heart is, Lord God, that you are so concerned with, you love us so much that you would just stop us in our tracks, wake us up from this this life that we're living, and help us to turn back to you, help us to turn to you for the first time, or to give up that one thing we've been keeping from you, Lord. I just pray that you can help put that on our hearts so that we, we don't have to be crippled in, in certain areas of our life because we won't listen to you and we won't get rid of it out of our hearts. Lord God, help us just to go to you faithfully, trust in you, and stop scheming and stop trying to take control. But Lord, help us to let you have control of our lives. Help us to sacrifice our lives to allow you to work through us. Lord God, we love you and we just praise you for all that you do for us. Please continue to bless us as we walk and and do what is is best for us, but not what is comfortable for us, Lord God. We We pray to be changed people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.